0: welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed standard American diet and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you
1: crack your health code. So why would we ever say eat less, move more? It's an absurd statement. Like, spend less money than you make to become rich tells you nothing it doesn't work it doesn't do anything what you need to do is eat densely move intensely you need to eat nutrient-dense foods that give you the correct satiety and you know you don't even have to worry about calories you don't have to eat less you'll naturally eat less because you'll be full
0: hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the fit farming food mom as always i'm your host connie And I am so excited to have Brian Sanders on the show today. He is making a feature-length food documentary called Food Lies. And there is so much conflicting health information out there that he actually quit his job and has spent the last year scouring the planet and speaking to the world's top researchers to find out what the new science is telling us we should be eating and how to eat that food sustainably. Brian and I talk about nutrient density, what may be driving your hunger cues and satiety, and about some of the amazing things he has learned while researching all things from all sides, even veganism. Fasten your seatbelt. This is a good one. Welcome, everyone. Here's Brian Sanders.
2: So I am so excited to have you on the show. First of all, because you have some big things in the works and I cannot wait to uh, take a look at them. Uh, could you explain who you are and what you've got cooking?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm i yeah, doing a lot of things. I'm a mechanical engineer by training, actually. That's awesome. But I, yeah, I kind of got into different worlds and different experiences in life plans as I went and it kind of landed me in nutrition mostly because of my parents actually sometimes you need these kind of shocking health problems of your own or of people around you to you know shake things up well so,
2: you know and it's funny that you say that because you know most people I find that haven't had some shocking health revelation uh per se just think that you know and especially if they're fitness enthusiasts they just think oh well, you can eat whatever you want, but if it fits in this certain caloric guideline or you're in a deficit, then you're going to lose weight. And so there's a lot of fallacies, I think, with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I've talked to some of those people and have debates on, on my own podcast actually. And I don't believe that's true. And that there's many people who are very sick or they get sick over the years. And a- after doing, you know, following that, plan and thinking they're fine. And then, you know, all these other conditions arise and there's so much more to it. There's inflammation factors. There's, you know, all calories are not created equal, even though people like to say that.
2: I know. And it's a, it's also a pet peeve of mine as well. And granted, we all have things that work differently for ourselves. But one thing that I love to preach is that, um, especially with these people that are weight loss coaches is um, you can make I guess the, the most current thing is like this, if it fits your macros thing. The thing is, is yeah, you might lose the weight if that was your goal, but what do you look like on the inside? <laughs> Cause eventually yeah. that's going to catch up with you.
1: Well, there's a whole, there's a term for it. It's TOFI, T-O-F-I like thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And I mean, we study this in the, you know, medical literature and it, it's, you can have all the same insulin resistance and metabolic problems as an overweight person while being thin. And we see this in across Asia a lot because of their certain body type that they tend to, you know, remain pretty thin on the outside. But as we kind of know that in Asia, China, especially India, there's a ton of type two diabetes and uh, strokes and all kinds of bad stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be a great conversation, I can already tell. Uh, so first of all, if you could talk a little bit about your documentary, that would be awesome because I can't wait.
1: Yeah, it's called Food Loss. It's been a couple years. I've been working on it. It's kind of a slow process, but I've been able to get interviews with some of the top scientists and doctors and regenerative farmers around the world in, in that time. And really, it's a story of what we should be eating. And that goes into the evolutionary history of what humans ate back then and how that shaped us all the way to the agricultural revolution and up into the last 100 years. And we started demonizing meat. And then we started demonizing fat and cholesterol. And there's a whole story there. And then we, we catch up to the bad science we've done and then the new good science that's been done to kind of show it's like, hey, maybe we're wrong about that. Maybe we shouldn't be eating all these low-fat products and you know processed foods and all this kind of stuff that kind of happened throughout the 80s and 90s. And then we get into you know kind of a I call the unifying theory of nutrition, where we really show all sides of nutrition. Why, why? Like, what's confusing to some people is why can people in Okinawa they live long and they're healthy and supposedly they're eating tons of carbs and they're eating this high carb diet and then other people can be healthy doing the opposite, eating like a high fat diet. And it doesn't really make sense to people. So in the film, we try to explain that, that there is sort of this unifying theory and it's, it's based around whole foods. It's based around non-processed foods. And it's kind of based around, you have to kind of choose a path to go down. Either you go down this high fat route or go down, this low fat route you know some people can pull that off some people you know can pull off a vegetarian diet or pescatarian diet and be healthy if they're eating whole foods and they are getting low fat and, and they can still eat high carb but it, it all kind of makes sense if you look at it from this perspective and what the main problem is that people most people in western societies, societies eat in the middle right they're doing high fat and high carb at the same time Right, and they're they're doing very poorly.
2: Well, and that's a big theory by a lot of people now too. Just like you said, you know, you can eat a high fat diet or you can eat a high carbohydrate diet. Um, that's okay, you know, one or the other. And then you always want to have your protein on point. Um, and then some people just function better on a higher fat, and some people function a little better on a higher um, carbohydrate diet. How do you feel um, the soma types of people? um play into that do you think that there's
1: a assimilation between that or you know I've been wrestling with this for a while and I've talked to a lot of scientists and doctors and I don't know if we know I don't know because there's so many factors that go on and people you know people claim it's like oh it didn't work for me and I'm like maybe it didn't maybe you just did it wrong maybe you didn't have all the information you know maybe people aren't good at actually tracking what they eat you know well that's a, that is a
2: fact there already <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: so there there's so many factors and you know I, I talk to people all the time i work actually in a medical clinic i've a partner that's a doctor and i work as a health coach sometimes and and i i talk to the people and see the problems and you know they they say one thing and they do another and then they say, oh, I can't eat red meat. You know, I feel sick. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true. You know, people try to say, oh, it's their body type or their genetics or their this or that. It's Like, well, we're all homo sapiens. We all, you know, had this foundation of meat eating for, you know, millions of years, if you include pre-humans. And so I don't really think that's a problem. I think you have an aversion to red meat. I think you uh, are eating red meat with fries and, you know, yeah. other bad foods and that, or you, you have avoided red meat for so long that your gut microbiome isn't even ready to handle it.
2: That was going to though... be my next thing that I was going to ask you how you <laughs> felt, because a lot of people are like, no way I can't do red meat. It doesn't digest well. Well, the thing is, is they've been eating the standard American diet for so long that their digestion is so wronged in the first place that they have a hard time digesting anything they eat. It's not just red meat, but maybe that's Indeed. something that, you know stands out amongst them you know
1: yeah for one it's because it's been demonized so they think it's bad and for two it it does uh, i mean if they're if they're following this diet and they're eating you know lean chicken and all these other things then yes they their body's not used to it and it might of course anything can be bad i mean some of these people you know there's this whole carnivore world if they eat kale they're gonna feel terrible you know what I mean? Like, or they could eat an avocado and feel terrible just because it's not because avocados are poison, it's because their gut microbiome isn't ready for it, right? Right, absolutely. And I, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying more about the digestion part about well, there's so many things here, not only the gut microbiome, but yes, people have so many different problems of, of leaky gut and all this other gut problems that have developed from all the years of eating the bad diet, and they even. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that has to be healed first. Right. Or they have metabolic problems too. I mean, if you, you, so it's like people can respond badly to certain foods because their metabolism is messed up as well.
2: Right. Absolutely. And you know, there's multiple ways that can happen, you know, too. And that was another interesting thing that I found. I was doing some research a couple of days ago about, you know, people that are vegetarian and, and vegan And I started like looking at it closer and I was reading these numbers and I was like, wait a minute, a lot of these people actually have insulin resistance and things like that, that, you know, they don't know of. And then it gets diagnosed later and they have a lot of problems. And I start looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes total sense. When you're a vegan or a vegetarian, primarily a lot of your diet has become carbohydrate. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I was like, oh my goodness, why did I never think of this before?
1: Well, exactly. And, and it's processed food and it's processed oils. So it's also, it's not even, I love to, I, I was very like anti-carb for a long time, but then I kind of looked at more into it and trying to be more agnostic to it. And so it's the car, carbs are usually the problem, but again, you can't like completely demonize them, but it, it's kind of the, the the high carb and there's, they're eating high processed carb and all uh, the, the industrial oils so it's kind of all of them
2: right and then my husband always he kind of jokes about that too because he's like oh so and so went vegan so they can still have beer and french fries right uh-huh yeah it's <laughs> like well yeah yeah I guess you're right there you know. so that one always kind of strikes me as an interesting thing and then the other thing is is like I mean, I want, this is why I like that you were saying you're kind of in a way demonizing carbs and, but, um, you know, the human body is meant to run off of glucose. And by that, a lot of people misunderstand that. And they think that that means that they need to eat a lot of carbohydrate. um, When in fact, no, our body, um, it functions with glucose, but glucose is so important to our body that it actually can make its own you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're, you're, you've got these Inuit tribes and stuff out there that basically were only ever eating meat, yet you test their blood sugars and they're 100% normal.
1: Absolutely. And, and ketones as well. Like we, we have this ability, humans, we didn't always have plenty of carbohydrates sitting around for all of history. So yes, exactly. We developed this ability to run on fat and ketones and our brain can use ketones and yeah, we we actually don't need that much glucose. In reality, we can run on fatty acids and ketones. Which, so really,
2: which yeah. is an, an incredible thing, really, if you think about it. Your body has multiple backup processes in the event that it can't get its hands on carbohydrates.
1: Yep, and we wouldn't be around if that wasn't true.
2: Yeah, so that's
1: pretty awesome
2: anyway we kind of dove down a rabbit hole there um i want you to tell us a little bit more about your film and then today's topic we were going to kind of look at nutrient density and satiety
1: Mm, yeah that so that does kind of all come into play in the film so i kind of explained the first two thirds of the film where we got up to the modern science and all this new stuff and trying to look at all sides of nutrition and then what's interesting is we're like okay so animal foods are good for you. They're not bad. It's the processed foods and sugars and grains and oils that are bad for us. So, but how do we do this in an environmentally responsible way, right? Because All these anti-meat activists are trying to say that cows are killing the world and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, our animal agriculture system is kind of bad, but so is our plant agriculture system. It's probably even worse. Right. And so we look at this, this side and we, You know, I've traveled to many farms across North America of different sizes and and talk to amazing people that do things on giant scales, small scales, and they regenerate soil. They they respect the animals. They everything is kind of the opposite of how the anti meat activists make it seem. Right. And so that's kind of the ending part of the film is we, we we look at that whole side and even look at ethics. So we do the environment and the ethics and say, you know, this is part of nature. This is how it works. And, you know, something has to die for something to live more actually by volume, more animals die growing crops than just growing meat. You mm-hmm. know, there's tons of different ground nesting rabbits and squirrels and baby deer and mice and, just to grow crops or just we're displacing entire ecosystems to grow crops. We're doing so many things. We're poisoning waterways. We're killing animals just by uh, hunting them to protect the crops. So there's no free lunches in nature, as they say, there's no, like, you got to think just how can I get my food the best way? And that would be to go to your local farmer and get, you know, regenerative, sort you know well-raised meat and and you're actually probably eating creating less of an environmental footprint because one they you know cows on grass sequester carbon they, they offset more carbon in the soil than they produce and it's also you're getting that locally you're not shipping in all these fruits and vegetables and packaged foods from around the world so it's actually you can make a case that it's more environmentally friendly to eat grass-fed beef than many other things
2: Right. And, you know, I fully agree with that and I'm on board with all of it because here's the thing is I have been raised in ranching my whole life. I've worked for top cattle ranches. Um, up until I was about 21 years old that was my life Um, horses rodeo ranching everything Uh, even right now I don't know if you hear it in the background but I have a whole bunch of baby chickens in the same room Mm -hmm. as me and they have piped up a couple times and I'm thinking you guys got to be quiet okay Uh (laughs) because um, we have we like to have our own farm fresh eggs so every spring we have to kind of start recycling chickens you know so um, anyway uh, you know I've been in the in the ranching industry. And, you know, I, I think that there has to be balance everywhere, you know? And then another big eye opener for me is I'm a vegetable gardener Mm
1: -hmm. and I
2: usually have a massive garden. And, you know, one year I was doing the same thing over and over and over again, you know? And what I started to notice is that the soil started to get, crappier and crappier because i wasn't making a cover crop of any kind to take care of what i was you know basically over exhausting so on a very su- small scale i started to see what would happen if you just kept doing the same thing over and over again so now they have all these yeah. industrial practices to try to to get away from that and it's like literally killing our planet off
1: it's terrible. And it's good you mentioned cover crops. I know a great guy, Gabe Brown, who wrote a book called Dirt to Soil and maybe another book, but he's doing what you're talking about on 5,000 acres. So he's making a profit. He's doing it well on a giant scale. And yet he uses cover crops. He uses, you know, rotational grazing. He uses plants and animals together. And it's a beautiful system. And he makes more money than his neighbors. He's more productive than his neighbors that use conventional farming methods and all the conventional pesticides and herbicides.
2: And what's the name of his book?
1: Dirt to Soil. I like Gabe. Yep. Gabe Brown. He has a TEDx talk on YouTube and uh, it's a cool little talk. And uh, yeah,
2: I'm so going to look that up up because, um, you know, the other thing was, is like, um, we got the documentary the biggest little farm or whatever and oh yeah i really enjoyed that too because it really ta- like shows you um what it takes to bring all of that back to life after it's been so drained you know and i think that's similar to the human body we put so much stress and pressure and dieting and rat race and terrible things into our body and eventually we just use it all up and then all of a sudden we're facing these giant health concerns
1: Yeah, you know, I just went up to their farm. It's actually in LA. It's a little north of LA. And I interviewed them for my podcast, Peak Human. And I actually interviewed Gabe Brown as well. And they, they they're amazing people. The, The farm was really great. And they had just amazing words of wisdom that are kind of what you're saying, right? They, there's so many parallels between the human body and then the health of the soil. And then even just these big industries and, you know, the healthcare system and the big food industry and how bad they are and how they just, they're, they're all kind of doing the same thing to destroy us. They're just, there's these cycles of efficiency and making money that just keep happening mm-hmm. in the healthcare world and the food world and all in the agriculture world. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's destroying us.
2: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And then the thing about it is, is I feel like there's this full pendulum swing happening because I do see a lot in the health movement, which makes me super excited. Um, but then I see this big backlash from all of these big corporations that don't want to see this happen. And I feel like there's so much crazy stuff behind the scenes that's happening with that to kind of snuff out the health side of things.
1: It there There really is. I mean, I know... people personally that are getting blocked on facebook their groups are being this you know just disappeared their posts are you know there's rob wolf there's diana rogers tim noakes uh craig emmerich like and maria emmerich like there's these big people that are out there trying to spread health information and they're they're getting censored by these platforms and i think i even got some of it at one point i was noticing that my my posts like people couldn't share my posts and it was being blocked, and I got way less i had one tenth engagement all of a sudden, and that my hashtags were being blocked and you know I started my own hashtag like food lies and sapien is you know my what I call my the way my way of eating, and I'm the one who started it like I'm the only one using food lies and sapien, and all of a sudden uh, you can't find my posts aren't there like you search the hashtag on Instagram and you have to scroll down like three pages before you get to my own posts. Yeah, that's
2: crazy. And, you know, it's funny you should say that because I was just telling someone about that the other day because of Dr. Mercola being um, completely blocked off of all that kind of stuff, too. Um, He said he's virtually invisible um, on the World Wide Web, and he's um, trying to work around that right now. But basically, um, that shows you how powerful big pharma is.
1: Yeah, it's scary. I think even Alan Savory, Alan Savory's a great guy. If you haven't heard of him, he has a TED talk that's really famous, and he's into holistic management and and changing the entire world, and the agriculture systems and getting animals back in the land. And I did a podcast with him lately, and he couldn't even talk about things. I like something was something was really weird. It's almost like these big powers got to him, and he couldn't talk about things. Wow. It was really scary. Yeah. And his PR people t- said that he like they're like, "Oh, he can't talk about certain things." And it was like very suspicious and weird. I was like, "Okay."
2: Wow. So have you found that through um, you know, doing investigation and research for your film that you have found some um, roadblocks that kind of concern all of
1: this stuff that we've just been talking about? I I have not. I was worried about that initially. And I haven't uncovered some big conspiracy, unfortunately, it would be great for the film, because maybe I could have some big, (laughs) amazing film that got a lot of attention, but uh, hopefully it'll be that anyway, without some big conspiracy theory that I uncovered so Awesome. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, I just found that interesting because that's the other thing is anytime you're like putting yourself out there or putting information out there, you always have people that there's so many things out there. Like, is there going to be a lawsuit because I said this
1: or, you know, like
2: (laughs) it's just like, you're never safe these days to say, I feel like there is no freedom of speech anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I am getting censored. Yes. by I think Facebook and, and Google. And so, yeah.
2: That's awesome. Well, at least you know you're doing things right, I think, that way, because they don't want to get good information out there. I think that's kind of what it boils down to. But anyway, so um, along with the film, and you said you've gotten really big into nutrition, and it was based because of your parents, what started it all?
1: Yeah, there's kind of a storyline about that, where, well, they ate healthy. Like we ate healthy our whole life. What we were told was healthy. We 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 actually did eat the food pyramid type of diet. And we didn't go out to eat a lot. We, we just made our own food. We were eating low-fat products and rice and just lean chicken, all this stuff. But very good. Like we seriously did it. And as they aged, they just – I didn't even know it. But they just got unhealthier and unhealthier and they weren't obese. They just had sort of that – midsection obesity you know the abdominal obesity that people think oh that's just normal that's just how people that's what happens when you age and we have to realize that that is not what happens when you age it's what happens when American standard American terrible dieters age and then they get all these chronic diseases and problems and conditions and cancers and Alzheimer's so that's the story of my parents is they my dad got cancer and my mom got Alzheimer's and I basically lost both of them when I was 31, wow. which is pretty young to have no parents. And that I like really had to take a look at my health and reevaluate it. And that's when I got into this world it was about five years ago. And, you know, I've been full steam ever since just changing the way I eat, researching every day, you know, doing all this stuff and. Yeah, that's kind of the whole driving force behind the film. And we're trying to, there is kind of this generational story in the film. You know, if you could think of like the theme of the film is how do we not let this happen to us? There's a new generation of 20s and 30s somethings that are starting to worry about their health right now, mainly 30-somethings, really, because like, you know, when you're 19s, teens and 20s, you're just like, I can do whatever I want. I just eat whatever and who cares? And then it catches up to you. So. That's kind of this other woman we follow around in the film who who did, has her own health journey that we show that she was overweight and she was feeling bad and she, she wasn't doing well in many areas of her life. And we started filming with her. She's changed the way she ate. She still didn't count any calories. She didn't track anything. We did. We just told her, Hey, let's eat these whole foods. Let's focus on animal foods and nutrient density and satiety. You're not going to have to worry about calories if you're eating these foods that have the correct satiety signaling to your body and these having high enough protein and fat, she changed her life. She lost tons of weight. She gained so much confidence. She's like lost some of this anxiety and depression. She started singing again. She's dancing again. She's doing all these things. And her parents had the same kind of story as mine. Her dad passed away while we were filming. Not I mean not on camera, but he had an, an eye cancer, which I don't think was diet related maybe. Per se, but when um, her mom has type two diabetes, and you know, this is just a story of so many people's lives that are that are my age and the, the parents' age. These new people that are sixties, fifties to seventies that grew up in this terrible world of low fat food, permitted advice, and even if they did fo- follow it, they had all these ill health. So that's not normal. And we, so this is generational story of how do we stop that? How do we make this new generation not fall to the same fate?
2: Right. Right. Cause you know, that's the other thing now is I found that now my eyes have been opened to so many things. I'm, I'm like hovering over my kids. When people give them Gatorade at soccer games, I'm just like, ah, you know, (laughs) no, don't do that. You know? But I mean, I let it slide. I'm like, okay, we gotta be, we can't create food fear either. But Mm I, you know, sometimes it's hard for me with knowing a lot about food now to, to accept some certain things, you know, so, um, I do have a little bit of a, uh, I guess you would call it like an orthorexia to food that is, um, to me poison, you know, so,
1: um,
2: which can be unfortunate or maybe it's a good thing. I don't know, (laughs) but, but, uh, Yeah. So, and then, you know, that's another thing I found though with the, with the standard American diet now is people are so jacked up on sugars and carbs and soda and lattes and burgers and fries that they are, they're, first of all, they're in such a busy rat race that they're not paying attention to their actual hunger cues, right? They're sitting in front of their phone, they're stuffing their mouth full, they eat until they're over full, you know? Um, and then they're eating such carbohydrate dense um, foods that they're actually becoming, they're, they're becoming more hungry almost, you know what I mean? They're never satiated.
1: Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. So that's a lot of people haven't found this out. I'm glad that you understand this. And I guess you did say you wanted to talk about satiety and that that's, that's kind of one of the biggest things I found through all these years of talking to all the people and, you know, I've talked to over 150 people, I think, right now, and and I, what I've found out is it really comes down to satiety, and what's what um, makes a food satiating. One of the biggest things, there's kind of two main things. It's it's complete protein, and it's the level of processing. So if you are getting enough complete protein, and it's unprocessed. That is the most satiating food. These foods will keep you full the right amount of time. And that's really all that matters when you're talking about weight loss and health. And the other component is nutrient density, which you mentioned as well, which kind of ties into this. It's, they're also, people are starting to talk about this kind of like uh, nutrient model of obesity in a way where it's like how getting the correct, the nutrients signal that you're full. Right. And that the lack of nutrients tell your body that you're still hungry and you keep eating. So there's something called so semi related is the the protein leverage hypothesis. Then there's there's this new thing people are saying, like the nutrient leverage hypothesis. But the protein leverage hypothesis is says that your body eats to get enough protein. Right. It needs protein as a building block. It needs it for so many things that it'll you will be hungry. You will seek food until you get enough protein which is fine throughout history because we ate whole foods and they had enough protein. And the problem though with the processed foods and the modern food environment is to, eat, to get enough protein, you're eating so much extra garbage. You're eating extra carbs, extra seed oils, extra refined grains and sugars because our, all our processed foods and modern foods are stuffed with extra trash and they're diluted of protein. If you go into any store and look at everything on the shelves in the middle, that is the least amount of protein in any of those foods. It's diluted out. It, protein is expensive for one thing, and, and it's not shelf stable exactly unless you process it down. So the, the foods with the good amount of protein are on the edges, right? Everyone kind of knows that. The whole shopper on the edges, you know, that's the whole foods. But this is kind of saying why, you should do that in another way to look at it.
2: Awesome. And, you know, that makes perfect sense now that you boil it down because, you know, that's the thing is there isn't, I mean, look at the standard, I guess I'll use McDonald's for lack of better, you yeah. know, words, but like look at their cheat, their standard cheeseburger. It's not going to have nearly as much protein. I mean, what's one patty? If you buy just a standard cheeseburger, oh my one God. patty, there's what?
1: It's got to be like 12 grams of protein, maybe. It's so small. The McDonald's patties are like a couple ounces, and it's just mostly bun and fries. Yeah, if you look at a a meal, it's a nightmare. If you look at you, just a cheeseburger meal with a soda and French fries, the protein will yeah will probably be like maybe fifteen grams. Maybe there's a couple grams of protein in the fries, and you're getting how many calories? Get
2: 2,000, two thousand, twenty five hundred probably. Yeah,
1: thousands of calories, tons of carbs, tons of sugar. 12 grams tons of protein tons of fat tons <laughs> of fat. 12 grams of protein so yeah it's no wonder i mean if i went to mcdonald's i would eat like five cheeseburgers because i'm because i am not getting enough protein right it's like you could just think of that that that's five times 13 is probably well i'd probably eat more protein than that really right. uh I'm, I'm trying to get you know 60 probably 70 grams of protein per meal i like to eat two meals a day i don't calculate anything but i i I probably eat like 150 grams of protein a day, and you know maybe 75 per meal. So yeah, it's for me to get 75 grams of protein by going out anywhere, let, you know, any restaurant, any you know packaged food, any pre-made food. It would be very hard for me to get 75 grams of protein.
2: Right. Yeah. And with- that and that's crazy to me because I, I've never heard somebody um, say it that way. I've always thought of it from a carbohydrate insulin standpoint, cravings wise. But now that you say that, it's like, okay, if your body knows it needs a certain amount of protein to function and many people aren't getting that with their standard, you know, regular amount of
1: calories. So of course your body's going to start eating a whole lot
2: more in order to make up for that.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to popularize this. And Dr. Ted Naiman talks about this a lot too. He's a good person to check out online like Twitter or whatever, but it's also that part too, though. It's also the satiety signaling of carbs, and that you're on a blood sugar roller coaster, and you you can eat. You know, there's all these studies that I look at. It's like I like this one where they gave people a high carb meal and a low carb meal, and then they monitored their blood sugar. They monitored their ghrelin, which is their their hunger hormone, and they monitored their perceived hunger. And the high carb meal, right around like the two and a half hour mark, I think it was. The blood sugar took a dip. It went below. They were hypoglycemic. So, you know, the, the blood sugar shot up and then it went down. And they were like, that's when you're like, I need food. I need food. Mm-hmm. So and at that same time, they had the they measured the ghrelin. So their hunger hormone was surging. It was at a peak. And their perceived hunger satiety was was at the highest for the high carb meal. And for the low carb meal, None of that happens, you know, they did not have the spike and grown, they did not have the, the blood sugar was stable and they did not have perceived hunger until, you know, the correct amount of time, maybe five hours after the meal instead of the two and a half hour. So there's so many things going on. This is also what I've found through all this research is you you, you can't just look at the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity and you can't just look at satiety. You can't just look at anything. You, you have to look at it all and they all play into each other, but the, and it's, it's yeah, it's, there's always like multiple factors going on. So
2: that I, yeah, I love that. That's a definitely, a, you have definitely bended bent my way mm-hmm. of thinking, you know, you guys. So uh, yeah, I'm like, I was like, this guy just totally bended the way I look at this. You know? Well, <laughs> so, uh,
1: this, ha- this happened to me. Well, I'll tell you, because I did think that, I kind of don't believe in the whole carbohydrate insulin model anymore. I think it's, it's a huge component, but I I mean, I went years just thinking that was all that mattered. And then if you keep going, you keep looking, you keep an open mind. you figure out there's more to it than that? And it's not like, it's not a problem. I'm not saying that carbs and insulin is not a problem, but there's so many different ways to look at it because there's things that disprove that you can look at different cultures like the Kitabans or the Simone, these are two more kind of well-known tribes that eat a super high carb diet. So we studied these modern hunter-gatherers and they're we're like, wait, why are they're so healthy? And the, but they eat tons of carbs, but you know what? They're eating whole carbs. They're still getting enough animal protein. They're going low fat. Like I said, you know, if you go high carb, you got to go low fat, but, and they don't have insulin problems. Like we measured them, but, it, but that's the thing. If, you're not having high carb and high fat at the same time, you, it, it, it doesn't work the same way. Your body doesn't need to get rid of all this excess energy through all this insulin, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a problem, right? The American diet is you, you have all this fat and glucose coursing through your veins and your insulin needs is trying to get it out. Right. Right. So, but then if you don't have all the fat with it, then the insulin doesn't have to do that. Exactly. You're not, it doesn't have to store all that fat. So it just, you, you, you can just use the glucose. It could go into your muscles. It's glycogen and liver, or, and it could just be used by your body. So it's yeah. like, so you know what I mean? So it's not always, that's what I was saying. It's not always the carbs. Carbs aren't necessarily evil. It's how you, it's how processed they are and it's how you eat them. And you know, the pattern of your diet.
2: Right. Right. And, and that's something that definitely, you know, I'm a bodybuilder and as like in my community of people, everybody's like, what carbs? That's like the, I mean, you have to have carbs if you're a bodybuilder (laughs) and all this crazy stuff. And I, I mean, I've, I have done thorough experimentation with myself. (laughs) I can tell you that. Um, I actually recently just completed about eight weeks of straight nose to tail carnivore. Mm -hmm. And, during that time, I actually felt probably the best I have felt in as long as I can recall. To be one hundred percent honest with you, um, but towards the end of eight weeks, my gym performance started dipping just a little bit. Mm. So I noticed that if I just in in you know incorporate a little bit of, you know maybe in the morning for breakfast a little bit of some kind of carb, I started doing. Right before the gym, I do a little bit of maple syrup in my coffee. That's my dirty pleasure. Um, <laughs> anybody that know, has listened to my podcast before <laughs> has heard me say that. Um, but I, I I do that. And then also post-training, I'll just add a little bit of sweet potato. Um, that happens to be one of my go-to carbs. So I'm, for the most part, extremely low-carb. Um, not extremely, but pretty darn low-carb. And I do a lot of fat and a yeah. lot of protein.
1: I think that's a amazing diet and strategy, so i yeah. and yeah, I know plenty of people that build tons of muscle doing this type of eating, right You don't need carbs to build muscle i mean I've talked to many really top researchers that are into mu- muscle science researchers about this, and they they agree you do not need it, you need an adequate protein, you need adequate leucine you need you know what I mean you need certain things, but yes targeted carbs do can can help for sure and i yeah i mean i i'm not a bodybuilder by any stretch but i like to do short workouts and brief intense workouts and i and you know i like to stay in shape but I, I yeah i mean i can eat carbs around the workout and i think you know some of that's great and it can help
2: right and then the other thing is
1: is like so many
2: people um i find are a lot of my clients that come to me are super snacky. They're like, "But I'm sitting there watching TV and I'm, you know, I'm I'm hungry. I want to snack on something." And I'm like, "Well, snack on something that is filling, you know. Um, you know, eat definitely fill your plates, especially on your main meals. Fill them with a lot of greenery, fill them with stuff that's going to take up a lot of room so that, you know, after you're done with your meal, listen to your hunger cues. Hopefully you're not going to want to, you know, put a bunch of extra stuff on top of that because you've already done most of the filling with things that are, you know, pretty low impact, you know, with your vegetables and all of that stuff.
1: Well, yeah. I would say just adequate protein. I mean, I would focus on protein even more, especially (laughs) if you're trying to gain muscle. It's very obvious to anyone trying to gain Mm -hmm. muscle, but just for satiety's sake, I, I made a, half joke, but probably 90% serious that snacking is a result of not eating enough meat in your last meal. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that that's, that's really like my real theory though. It's like, I haven't, I, I mean, I'm sure this is not a blanket statement, but I haven't really snacked in a year and a half. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like I, it just doesn't appeal to me at all because I just eat enough in my meals. And that, and I'm full. And I'm not saying that you can't snack. Maybe that fits into some people's lifestyle and they, they maintain their weight that way. But for many people, they end up gaining weight and they they don't realize they're, I just think it's a terrible strategy if you're trying to lose weight for so many reasons. And that, well, and
2: coming from the bodybuilding side of that, I mean, originally I I've always eaten pretty dang healthy. Probably I would say well, it's kind of weird my my how my life has morphed, but when I was a child my mom was vegetarian, so we ate all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm talking what I thought was healthy similar to you. Um, we ate like veggie burgers. That was supposedly mm-hmm. healthy, you know. And like um uh, more, lots of like the 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 fake hamburgers and all that kind of stuff. And and you know, to me that was like, oh, my mom's eating super healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, carob carob chips, you know, things yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, And then so midlife, I always had been brought up with the fact you cook everything um, from scratch. And so from scratch, though, to me was like, okay, I'm making a home cooked meal. It's spaghetti. It's spaghetti sauce. And I cook up you know, ground beef. And I put that in there. That's a healthy meal, right? With a, with probably a dinner roll, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: so it wasn't coming from a box at the store, but it was still essentially coming from packaging, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or cook up a pot roast, throw a pot roast in, grab your gravy mix that you bought at the store, dump that in, dump some water in and a whole bunch of vegetables. And that's a healthy meal, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so I did that for, um, probably about, um, you know, eight or 10 years. And then, you know, about, we're, we're nearing five years now, about five years ago, we um, dove into something called the gaps diet. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's pretty astringent. And um, that at that point, I, I was doing it for reasons besides myself, I was doing it for my son, because he has some issues. And that is a the name of that gut diet is gut and psychology syndrome. It's supposed to help with people that have psychological problems. So we dove into that. And the funny thing was, is when I started reading about it, I was reading about it for the benefit of him, mm-hmm. but I started reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do this for myself because everything it was describing was me. And I hadn't I didn't even know it, but I was suffering probably from some depression, but I'm not a medication person. So there's no way I was going to go into a doctor and, and, you know, get on all these meds. Yeah. So I'm sure I was suffering from depression and I was so tired all the time. You know, I was, I, I just, I felt bloated all the time. I didn't want to do anything. I was completely unmotivated. And so I'm reading this book and I'm like, okay, I have got to, you know, get into this. So I jump into the GAPS diet, drop about 50 pounds instantly and start feeling like a million dollars. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, everything I was eating before that was like poisoning me, you know. Um, And then the other thing is, is you start looking at all the labels, right? Because all of a sudden you start realizing what you have been eating and like the number one ingredient and like everything is sugar, yeah. you know, of some form, dextrose, sucrose, you know, or artificial sweeteners, and, or just
1: refined grains, like it's right. basically sugar, if it's just flour and all that.
2: Right. So, you know, that's why I was wondering, you know, how you got into it, because I started thinking this is, this is along the line. So what prompted you to change your eating ways?
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's my parents. And then I, well, I just saw my friends around me starting it. that. That's actually a big influence too. As you see your friends, they're like, Oh my God, what, what, you know, this guy just looks way better. Like, what is he doing? You know? And it was kind of the Sisson. you know, if everyone, if anyone's read the primal blueprint, it's, it's the, it's the Bible, you know, it's a great mm-hmm. book, great start for anyone. You, you know, you, your whole mind will be shaken up and you'll, understand this kind of ancestral approach to nutrition. And it's kind of probably similar to the GAPS. I'm not super, I mean, I know of the GAPS diet. I don't know exactly what it entails, but I believe it's something that would be in a, it's considered an ancestral diet, where, yeah. right? Where we're not eating all the refined modern foods. And yes. this is how you heal your gut. And yes, there is so many connections to the gut and the brain. And mm-hmm. you know there' I yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that, and people think you're crazy actually, if you start talking to them about how food can affect their psychology and their mood and all this stuff, and you know if they're not well versed in the nutrition world, they think you're an idiot, but right it's right, it's very connected,
2: well, and that's funny, you say that because I have a client that you know has told me about all these mental conditions that she has and depression and PTSD and blah, 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 like lots of stuff. And I'm not discrediting that she doesn't have trouble with this stuff. But I said, Hey, I just want you to try eating some things that I have suggested to you. And, you know, maybe eliminating a few things here and there and start telling me how your mood has been affected as well. You know, uh, yeah, and you know, I didn't say a lot of anything else besides that. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm at this point of where I'm willing to try anything to make changes. And I just recently got a message from her. Actually, it was today. And she was just like telling me how much weight she's lost, which isn't necessarily. I mean, eating clean foods. And when I just like to say clean foods, some people think clean foods is a gluten-free cupcake, but I'm saying mm-hmm. eating primally, uh, I should change it to that, <laughs> eating a more primal style of diet um you start noticing all sorts of things that change you know um and not everybody is going to lose weight that's not necessarily what's going to happen and that's not the reason you start to do it anyways you're doing it for your health and your digestion but the thing is is um she told me that she had already lost quite a bit of weight and her joints stopped hurting she's like i can't believe it my joints stopped hurting
1: yeah and i was like Yeah, that's another byproduct. That's So that happened to me too. Yeah, I remember having like creaky knees. I'm like going on hikes. I'm like, oh, creaky knees. And then also I think maybe the most profound one was I had 10 years. Well, now it's been 10 years of overuse injuries from the computer from working. I actually had a cast that was so bad on my arm. It was so messed up, like kind of like carpal tunnel type stuff. And when I finally cut out the refined grains and sugars, it went away. So it was probably like six years of that; those problems went away within a couple months. And it, and I didn't even believe it myself. And then I, I remember it was around the Super Bowl and I had a party and I had all these like bad foods around my house. And so I ate some of them and then I, you know, there are leftovers and I ate more. And then it came back, you know, like I couldn't use the computer. My whole arms were inflamed. It's like, well, this is real. This is not in my head you know, this is, this is what people don't realize. I wonder how many problems you know, these terrible overuse problems and so many inflammatory problems people have and have no idea. It's just what they're eating.
2: Right. Yeah. It's, it uh, definitely blows me away. So, Um, so basically if you could um, get any information out there, which I know you're trying to get a lot out of here out with your film, which is, I mean, I'm so happy that you, have taken the time to like do this. I mean, this is a big, um, I mean, you have to be devoted to this year. It's a big on, on taking, you know, big undertaking. And, and, uh, so, but I'm thankful for people like you that are trying to get the word out, you know, but if you could tell, you know, tell anyone to change anything, um, what would it be like and how would you go about achieving Mm. it or suggest that they achieve it?
1: Yeah. 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 So From all the people, like I said, talked to so many people, looked at all sides of this, talked to vegans, talked to, you know, professors, talked to anyone you can think of. I think all that matters is level of processing. All that matters. We should not, we should change our guidelines to not, I don't want to have a plant versus animal food war. I don't want to have a macro war about carbs versus fat. If if everyone just if we just made a I don't know a diagram like a instead of a food pyramid of a level of processing you know diagram we could and people actually followed it that would change the world and you could I I believe that you could have any macro ratio almost you could have any plant to animal food ratio almost but if you were eating the whole foods that that you would have magical improvements and then of course you get into more details of let's make this animal base this is where the nutrition is from this is where the bioavailable nutrient dense nutrition is from that'd be even better but uh, and people would have to even know what a whole food is or what processing is because again people don't know what this means they think whole foods they're like oh yeah yeah, i eat whole grain pasta like that is one of the worst foods that's I would have to educate people on this whole new version of what processed foods are going you know, are or level of alteration. Can we just talk, like, can we, you know, do a level of alteration meter? And I, I feel like if, and I keep trying to develop this in my head or on Photoshop or try to get some graphics, well, you know, and it probably will be in the film, but if you had this, you know, you, what is, it? maybe it goes from one to 10 and you've put all the foods on a spectrum and these are the worst and these are the best. And you have to educate people on that, that uh, whole grain pasta is not a health food. We've been pitched it as a health food for the last 30 years, that doesn't mean it's true. A green smoothie, maybe not a health food. If you're, you know, if it's like high in sugar, if you're grinding up these plants, even if they're healthy, you know, by themselves, once you grind them up, they affect your gut differently to make it taste good we're, we're adding sugar even if it's natural sugar like, I don't think this is a healthy thing I think it, it's fine and people can fit it in their diet especially if they're eating you know a low-fat diet and they're you know you can fit this in uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of caveats with what I say I have to be careful sometimes but that I don't think you know smoothies are necessarily healthful and that you know sugary juice like taking all the fiber out is healthful I don't think whole grain pasta is healthy I don't think a lot of these things like you you made the joke about a, a vegan cupcake or something like that. Yeah. That's not healthy. Like that's not a whole food. That's not healthy. I, I know this woman who thinks that anything in whole foods, the store is healthy. She's like, yep. You walk in there, you can pick anything up and you're healthy. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is insane. Like No, no.
2: And I, you know, it's funny cause I think I joked about that in the past in a podcast, you know? I mean, So like you have your peanut butter cup, you know, or you have your Reese's peanut butter cup. Well, of course, you know, you're not going to get any health issues from (laughs) the organic peanut butter cup because it's organic, right?
1: That's yeah. That that really is my biggest message. And I'm trying to shout this from the rooftops and make this. And I, I do a lot of Instagram posts and try to put these in different graphics and let people know, because this is still, something that people don't get. I'm telling you, we're joking around about it, but they do not get it. Like it's the level of processing. I don't even care. Like I'll even call out our own community. Like I'm kind of in the keto world. I'm kind of in the carnivore. I don't know what world I'm in. I'm just here spreading information, but I get adopted <laughs> by these worlds. So
2: you're in Brian's world. So, I'm Brian's trying. World.
1: so the, I'll, I'll throw the keto bars under the bus. Like you can use, you know, all the best stevia and coconut oil and coconut flour and all that. I mean, if you're, okay, I was going to make a caveat. If, you know, if you need this to transition on your journey to whole foods, or if you're like going to have a treat once a week and, you know, it's better than having a Twix bar, but these are not health foods. Just because it's made with stevia and whatever you want and it's keto approved doesn't mean it's healthy. It's, it's, it's highly processed. It will, you're probably going to overeat it. Right. You're probably going to like, you know what I mean? Just, just people need to understand that.
2: Well, that's funny. You say that because the other day my husband and I were grocery shopping and we were walking down an aisle and, um, slim fast had new keto bars. And I was like, Oh Lord, I wonder what's in that thing, <laughs> you know. So I picked it up and I looked at it and I was like, "Geez, I mean, they'll come up with anything now to
1: try to sell something." Oh yeah, they're, they're those big food things—they're—they're they're good at that. But i i, I want to be clear though. Again, I have these bars. Like I go to a lot of conferences and or people give them to me. They're fine. They're great. I'm at my goal weight and I can eat them. And I, when I want a treat, I'm going to eat it. But all I'm saying is. You, even if they're like the most wholesome bars and they have four ingredients i mean that doesn't mean it's a health food right it means it's a processed better for you treat so just know right. that that's all i'm saying yeah yes. so it,
2: yeah and and that's the thing is like i tell everybody you don't have to be perfect yes. this isn't about being perfect you don't have to be a food evangelist um you don't have to food shame you don't have to be like Oh, you don't have to go out to dinner with your friends and be like, "Oh, I don't eat that because of this or that." I mean, if they ask, okay, mm-hmm. great. But the the thing is, is that you know, and I mean, I'm a human being. I go out to dinner. Heck, I'm going out to dinner tonight. But you know, I caroused for some things that are better options in our area. We have a a wonderful restaurant where everything is sustainably sourced and bought. A lot of it's bought local. And they have great things, great options. And that's becoming more of a thing, you know, like they have salmon and Brussels sprouts with goat cheese, you know, and, mm, yeah. and uh, broccoli, like, and there's not a ton of processed stuff in there. At least what you're looking at, you can picture it as it was. Like you can picture a salmon, like as it was a salmon and a broccoli <laughs> as it was growing in the garden and the Brussels sprout the same way, you know? So you know that it was at, at one point real. And I tell a lot of people that um, including my clients You know, that's one good way to think about what you're eating. If you can picture it as it was, the way it originated, then probably Mm -hmm. it's better to eat. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, though, how many fields I've seen Slim Fast bars growing in. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, and so... I mean, yes, I, I eat off of, you know, I eat outside of the guidelines that we're, we're talking about here, but it's not my day to day diet, you know, Exactly. and I have made sure that my digestion is in check too, before I am going out and doing these things, because I mean, some people's digestion has become so damaged that, that even eating this kind of stuff is just making things worse. So, uh, I mean, how do you feel about that?
1: i yeah, I'm right on the same page because well luckily, I have no real issues. I kind of caught all my stuff before it was a problem. you know it's like I was kind of shook up on my parents i was thirty one I was in shape you know well, actually, I wasn't in shape now that I look back at the photos myself uh but i I was not in in dire straits i was not I didn't have health disorders right mm-hmm. and so so I can kind of eat anything but i and I' like that. That kind of like using your digestion as a guide is that if you can tolerate these foods and yeah, I kind of do the same thing. I'm like, maybe if I eat some bad stuff on the weekend, yeah, I'm going clean for the you know five six days,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm definitely not. And then yeah, I'm like, if I try some kind of keto bar I got from a conference, and it's like I don't feel great after, then I'm not going to eat that again. So yeah, you got to always be cognizant and of how you feel and really tuned into that.
2: Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, I have um, clients that come to me and they're like, well, hey, you know, uh, well, if this was you, what would you do? I said, well, I could give you some suggestions on this, you know, and, and, uh, and they'll go and they'll, they'll notice how good their digestion has gotten. But the thing is, is I, I, I'm, they're like, well, when should I, when can I expect, can I expect that to, to be able to eat whatever I want in a couple weeks or something? I'm like, well, it's not really, it doesn't happen that fast. You know, it's something that takes a little more time, Um, but if you take that time and you eat, you know, whole nutritious food, you know, uh, under a longer amount of time, typically your digestion will get better, you know, and then you can start doing like you and I are talking about, go out and eat what you want on a, for a meal or, you know, grab one of those bars and enjoy it,
1: you know. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, just really, really wait till you're ready. That's a great message. Get Gets your goal weight. So many people, I mean, there's probably like 5% of America is at their goal weight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a study that only 12% of Americans are metabolically healthy, right? So if, if they're only 12 are actually metabolically healthy, then I bet five are actually at their goal weight. So until you're kind of there, maybe you can't be messing around, you know? And then, yeah, until you, you like – can like really heal, heal your gut. You you can't just mess around, but yeah, it's a good message. Is You're not going to be, well, there's two messages. You're, you're not screwed for life and never going to get to eat ice cream in, again in your life, but you're also not going to just go back to eating whatever you want magically. Like, right. you know what I mean? Without restriction and just like, Oh, okay. I healed my gut. And now I'm, you know, now I just go to McDonald's. Right. Like So, so yeah, I think that's, kind of where i want to get to get people and that's what i'm trying to do with sapien it's like oh is it like keto is it like like what is it like well it's kind of all of them combined and it's kind of not dogmatic and we're going to try to get you to a place it's a lifestyle not a diet and we're going to get you to a place where you can you know eat without being orthorexic and eat you know not freak out but do this in a responsible way and yeah and, and figure it out where you can be happy for life
2: Right. You know, and then you have people, that it's like, what would it take to help you change your habits? And what's something that you really enjoy that you don't think you could get rid of? And oftentimes, there's a great compromise somewhere that isn't optimal, but it is better than the alternative.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. But... So we're kind of running out of time here, I know. Um, Is there anything else today that you feel strongly about that you think would be
1: great to share with everybody? Well, I guess I do have a little catchphrase that it kind of encapsulates everything we're talking about and that's eat densely, move intensely. So I think eat less, move more is a stupid thing and it's, it's pointless and I think it's absurd that people have been saying that for like 30 years. And I think it's kind of just like this sponsored food industry type of message. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it's a sponsored food industry message because we've uncovered it. It's like these, there's like the energy balance, you know, consortium, these like Gatorades and, and Coca-Colas of the world come together and try to just say, oh, calories are calorie. Just, you know, you can, you can have a Coke. Like it's all about eating less and moving more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to eat less, move more is terrible advice. It's like causes binge have... eating. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's, well, for one, yes. And for two, it's it's like saying to someone, how do, how do I get rich? Oh, yeah, just spend less money than you make. Right. And you're like, oh, great. You're a genius. Thanks for the great advice. Yeah. It's the stupidest advice ever. So why would we ever say eat less, move more? It's an absurd statement, like spend less money than you make to become rich. It <laughs> Tells you nothing. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. What you need to do is eat densely, move intensely. You need to eat nutrient-dense foods that give you the correct satiety, and, you know, you don't even have to worry about calories. You don't have to eat less. You'll naturally eat less because you'll be full. And you need to move intensely, which means sprinting. It means lifting weights, resistance training, hit like whatever you want to do. Like, I, I don't really believe in this steady state cardio. Like, I'm just going to sit there and, and grind away at a treadmill. I, I failed for me. I had terrible body composition when I was doing that. And I've seen it fail for many other people. Amen. And, uh, and I'm, but but still, I I like so the one exception to move intensely is is I do believe in in you know this kind of like um what's it called level two cardio where you're you know like going on a walk right like it's not bad to say jog and if you like it do it and yeah if you want it I, I think it'd be great to go on like a half an hour walk or go on a ten minute walk after a meal right or just constantly moving around the day you don't always have to be moving intensely but. I think the real benefits come from weightlifting and and intense movement that is more ancestrally appropriate.
2: Right. Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, I I can't think of how many times, you know, a caveman went out running every day for like, if, if running is your thing, then that's just fine. You know, I have no problem with that. But the thing is, is people, I see it in forums all the time. People are like, oh, well, I do two hours of cardio and I'm still not losing weight. And your body, I mean, your body, it shows up on your body. You can see these people. They almost look softer. They're not, you know, they're totally unhealthy. And, you know, they're not metabolically healthy either. You know, it shows up everywhere in the form of stress, cortisol, everything like that. But, you know, primally, we were lifting things up. We were moving things We were building things. We were doing all sorts. Like it's functional movement. You know what I mean. So I 100% agree with lifting some weights and you know eating, you know, nice nutrient dense food.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a prescription right there. Just eat densely, move densely. I mean, (laughs) so that's the key.
2: What is the best way for everybody to find you and? You are currently, you accept donations on your website as well to go towards the film, correct?
1: Yeah, so sapien.org has all the links. It, you can look, link out to Food Lies. And then from, yeah, there's, it's on Indiegogo. So Food Lies is on Indiegogo. It's a crowdfunded film. We're not taking any outside money. You know, there's no companies or big meat, big dairy <laughs> trying to support it. Uh-huh. It's just the crowd and... Yeah, we're doing all kinds of stuff with Sapien. You know, we're building health technology. It sounds like you're a health coach. If you know, we, we're looking for health coaches to join our platform, and you know, we're gonna do a nationwide program and connect with doctors and patients and health coaches and do a lot of great stuff. So we're doing that. We I have my Peak Human podcast. We have a Nose to Tail meat company. It's called Nose to Tail. We sell grass fed, grass finished meat, sustainably raised meat. Um, it's kind of like butcher box, but we actually have it sourced from America. It's all from Texas and it, it has uh, nose and tail. It has the organs, has the bones. We, we, you know, we have all the whole animal. That's awesome. So all Yeah. org. You can find all that and then just find me at food lies anywhere on any social media platform. You just search for food. Lives.
2: Awesome. And I'll put all of your stuff in the show notes too, so people can find you. So basically if I wanted to go on your site and drop you 10 bucks, it's going to go towards your film
1: and your research for the film. Exactly, it's just hundred percent of the film. We're in the finishing phase. It, it'll go towards the amazing animators, graphics people, like sound edit. You know what I mean? Like this is just going straight to making this film amazing, and we can get on Netflix. We can get it out as you know wherever we can.
2: And so, when do you estimate this fo this uh, film will be
1: released? We're shooting for fall. Oh, wow. I really want to give it to backers by fall. And then maybe it'll roll out, uh, you know, right after that to the public.
2: I am so excited. I can't wait to see it. So thank you so much, Brian, for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you setting time to come on and chat with me. I always like speaking with like-minded people and hearing their opinions on
1: things. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. It was awesome. Let me spread the word. Yeah, I'm I'm
2: spreading it, buddy. You don't have to worry about that. So (laughs) Uh, I will share with everybody and I will make sure all your information is well documented as well. So I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Well, that about wraps up this episode of the Fit Farming Food Mom. I'm so lucky I got to have Brian on the show and I cannot wait for his Food Lives documentary to come out. It was so awesome hearing his take on things. And you can support him on any go-go or go to foodlies.org. Or if you search Food Lies on any social media platform, including YouTube, you will see the trailer to his film. I will put all of his contact information in the show notes. And as always, you can find myself on Instagram at Connie Bigani. I would love to get a message from you telling me how you liked the show. Anyhow, if you liked this episode and you like other episodes, it would be a huge favor to me if you would go and subscribe to my podcast and share it with all your friends. Sharing is caring. And that helps me be able to keep bringing awesome people like Brian on the show. Until next time, everybody.